right, welcome to the house of the Lord. Amen. Isn't it great to be doing right now what the angels in heaven are doing? Amen. Proclaiming God is holy, lifting him up, and worshiping and serving him. Forgot the click. There we go. All right, so good to be with you this morning and be in the house of the Lord. God is good to us. He's blessed us in every conceivable way. And we just want to thank him for all that he is, uh, all that he has done for us. Well, as you know, we've been looking on a series concerning the church. And uh, first of all was the purpose of the church, which is the fulfillment of God's redemptive history for what man is supposed to be, where he's supposed to be. God calling us out to be his chosen people and to bring him glory. And then the mission of the church for those outside of the church walls, which is to make a difference for the glory of God by being salt and light in this world. That's what he's called us to do. That's uh, part of our mission, to share Jesus both locally and in the mission field. And all of this to the glory of God. And inside the church walls, the mission is to make disciples, to teach obedience and submission to God and preserve the flock and to guard and to uh, teach sound doctrine. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at membership, this wonderful church we're talking about, who belongs to it. And we discovered that who belongs to church are the regenerate believers born again who are a priesthood of believers, a, a, a holy nation filled with the Holy Spirit, or as Peter said, living stones that God is building something with. And what is God building with those living stones? Like the precious stones that Solomon used to construct the temple we are a temple that God is building. And what do you do in a temple? You worship, right? So that's the membership. And then last Sunday, Chad covered for us the idea and the importance of discipline, the purpose of it, uh, uh, how it preserves the witness of the church, how it is uh, for salvation and uh, restoring someone who has fallen out of uh, God's uh of God's pathway and the practice and presence of God that comes with that. And today we want to look at uh, a, a new chapter in this story. Let me get this thing to work. Go. go. Okay. Straight up. Yeah. I'll just say next. And, and Trista can be my remote remote. Okay. <laughs> gotta love, gotta love technology. Okay. So. Worship is what we're doing here right now, right? And technology and all of its uh, snafus. But how do we engage God? Is it something we can just do? Can we just walk up and say, hey, God, I, I just want to be in your presence? Or does God have to take the initiative in that? So that's what we want to look at. So worship is a God thing, 
a group thing and a great thing. So worship, number one, is a God thing. Next, worship is a group thing. Thirdly, worship is a great thing. Let's look at the first part. Worship is a God thing. Worship is a God thing. Remember the purpose of the church. What is the church for? The church is the fulfillment of what God has been doing all through the Bible. That is to, to call man out, to serve him, to bring man to a place where it can be said that he is our God and we are his people. And we see God calling a holy people out. It happened in the, in the book of Exodus. When Moses was called by God, there was Moses in the backside of the, of the desert and God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and said, Moses, I want you to go down and tell Pharaoh to let my people go and says, I am going to bring you back here to worship on this mountain. So the idea is God was calling out his people and it was for the purpose of worship. And of course, that's when Moses received the Ten Commandments. Let's look at next. How did that go? Thou shalt have no other gods before thee. Thou shalt not make any graven image. And it didn't go very well. And we know what Aaron did, right? So, worship used to be about a place. And in, 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 that, in that scripture that, uh, that Chad read for us this morning from John chapter 4, the, the woman at the well was confused. She says, you know, we worship God right here, and you Jews say we're supposed to worship him in Jerusalem. And Jesus said what? He didn't talk about a place, did he? He talked about a person. Jesus said, the Father is seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is what Jesus did for us. Jesus became the place of worship. Worship is a God thing. How did that happen? Remember when Jesus was in the temple and he said, I'm going to tear down this temple and build it in three days. And they didn't know what he was talking about. It's it been over 40 years this temple's being built. And in fact, at the time of Jesus, it still wasn't quite finished. And Jesus said in three days, and guess what Jesus did in three days? He built the temple of his body was what he was talking about. And that's the scripture I have for us today. So let's look in Hebrews chapter 10 and beginning in verse 19, Hebrews 10 and 19. And what we're going to see here is this amazing thing that has happened in worship that God is the center of, and it explains why we have the privilege that we can be in God's house today and worship him as believer priests. It's what we are. Born again, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior. How did this happen? So verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience 
and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look at what Jesus has done. He has become the new and living way. You see, worship is a God thing because if Jesus had not done that, how would we worship him? You might say, well, they worshiped him in the Old Testament. And indeed they did, but do you remember what that was like? Only a few of you may actually remember. That was before my time. But if we go back into scriptures and look, we'll, we'll find that they had this tabernacle, this temple. And, you know, I've often wondered, wouldn't it have been great to just walk in and see and to see the showbread table with the loaves put out and see the altar of incense and the lampstands. And, oh, wouldn't it have been wonderful to be able to go into the holy of holy places and to see the Ark of the Covenant, not just in an Indiana Jones movie, but the real thing? Wouldn't that have been great? You couldn't do it. We can't approach a holy God in our state of sin. And the only ones who got to go in the tabernacle at all were the priests. And the only one who could go into the holy of holiest place was the high priest. And he could only do that one day a year on the day of atonement. And first he had to offer sacrifice for his own sin. You see, folks, coming into the presence of God, we take for granted, I'm afraid, is a serious business, but yet that is what worship is about. It is a God thing. And so often, so many failures that man has made and through the Old Testament, as God was trying to draw his people out, and, you know, we, we remember from the scriptures how Aaron made the golden calf, and it was time after time again, God drawing out a holy people, but yet they seemed to be kicking and screaming and fighting the whole time and not being cooperative. Because, you see, the very nature of man is bent to sin, and that is why Jesus had to come to, to fulfill the requirement of the law, to pay the sacrifice, to make us the way. And do you remember what happened when Jesus was on the cross to that curtain that separated the holy from the holiest, the holiest places? It was ripped. It was torn. And the little detail that I love is it was torn from top to bottom because who tore it? God did. Because you know what God was saying? He was saying, no longer do you have to come through a priest. No longer is this restricted, but through the body of Christ, his atoning death on Calvary, now we all have that privilege to receive the Holy Spirit into our lives, so we also become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what do temples do? What do you do in a temple? Worship. Worship. That's what we must do. So it is a God thing. 
And in that scripture in John 4, where Jesus said in spirit and in truth, right? We say those words, but it really and truly must be in spirit and in truth. Because true worship will have these hallmarks and you can look for it. True worship is God-centered. We're not coming to church like consumers picking out a cell phone plan. That's the way so often people treat coming to church. I want to go get my needs met. I want somebody to make me feel good. You know, I want music that inspires me. I don't want the preacher to step on my toes too much. I want the pews to be comfortable. I want the temperature to be just so-so. Well, I like all those things too. But see, it's not about picking out a cell phone plan. When we come to worship, it is a God thing. God is the center of our worship. And if you look at the old English word for worship was worth plus ship. Ascribe to God the holiness due his name. See, it is a God thing. Worship must be Holy Spirit empowered. Because without the Spirit, in spirit, without the Spirit, we cannot even begin to approach him. And I remember, I love every time I read in the scripture, where the Shekinah glory of God, you know, isn't that awesome to imagine how the holy presence of God, that light that guided them with the burning fire at night and the pillar of cloud by day and the very presence of God that made Mount Sinai shake and quake and made the uh, Israelites tremble with fear and caused Moses to caution them and say, don't even let your animals approach the mountain because if they touch it, they must be stoned. God is a holy God and to come to him and worship is an awesome responsibility and we must come in awe and reverence. Our worship must be focused on Jesus and biblically grounded. So worship is first of all a God thing. Secondly, we can say it's also a group thing. And what do I mean by that? You mean, you mean preacher, I can't worship God by myself? Well, of course you can. You have your devotion. You read your, your Bible and you pray, and that is worship. But I'm telling you that there is something that comes from worshiping in a group. It is God's will. We are part of the body of Christ and we are meant to be together. And there are advantages to it that we simply do not get on the Internet only or watching it on TV. Now, if that's the only way, if you're homebound or sick or something, I'm all for that. That's great and wonderful. But if you are able to come to God's house, don't cheat yourself by staying home. Let's look next. You see the picture there of a, a fireplace. There was a story about a preacher on one winter day. One of his members in this little country church had been staying out for an ex extended period of time. and They couldn't get him to come back. So the preacher traveled to the man's house. He knocked on the door and the man said, well, come in, preacher. It's cold outside. Come warm yourself by the fire. So the man sits down and the preacher sits down. Preacher doesn't say a word. The man's just looking at him. And there's a, a bunch of coals in the fireplace there. 
So the preacher grabs a poker and he goes up to the coals in the fireplace and he, he breaks off a little ember that's grow, glowing red and he rakes it off to the side away from the other coals. And he puts the poker back and he sits down. And the man's curious and he watches and, and that ember which had been alive and burning with fire, it gradually become, became gray and cold and dead. And the man looked at the coal and he looked at the preacher and he says, I understand what you're saying, preacher. I'll be in church next Sunday. Do you see what happens to us is, is when we are together, we are able to stir each other up. We are like embers in firewood that's together. We are burning and uh, my worship affects your worship. And when you worship that that enlivens us all and we fellowship and meet and praise together and there is a blessing that comes from that that cannot be duplicated any other way. And there are so many times when God reserves special revelations and, and, and dispensations of his grace for the assembled members. Think about when the day of Pentecost came. When did that happen? They were gathered together. And this is my plug for Sunday night. Remember when the disciples on Easter, uh, on Easter Sunday in the evening, they were meeting and Jesus has appeared. Thomas wasn't with them. I guess he had something to do on Sunday night. It's typical. Even in the Bible, you get less people on Sunday night, right? But next Sunday night, he was there. And then Jesus appeared. Well, whenever we have church, we want, you know, Jesus is to be in our midst for us to kindle each other. And that's what we need. As verse 24 in our scripture says, we got to stir up one another. Now, think about when we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, we want church down here to be like heaven up there. And that's why we're so careful as we, in our vision team meetings and, and, and trying to biblically put together this new proposed church we're talking about creating right, is to be biblically sound and be done in a way that is uh, brings honor and glory to God. And if you look in the Bible, you see who people, it's a group thing, they're coming together in assembly. In Psalm 150, the psalmist starts about, uh, you know, Every creature prays and the angels praise and let's all praise. And you look in the book of Revelation in chapter seven and you see this, the, the, those who came through the great tribulation of every language and nation and people and they're gathered in heaven and they're glorifying the lamb. And we see the elders who throw down their crowns before the king. You see, we must have all and worship the Lord. And when we do that together as a people, see, we, it fills a great void and need in our lives. 
Let's look next, our scripture uh, verse. I want to show you from Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Well, look at there. There's music in church. And there's a reason for it. You know, a lot of times, a spirit-filled song will touch you in a way that the preaching may not necessarily reach. You know, the music has power in, 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 in to reach us. And certainly we want music to be a central part of our worship. And then there gets to be this whole discussion about what kind of music. And there are many, many, many different styles of worship. You have traditional and contemporary. And sometimes we have disagreements over, well, what music is the best music? As our next image shows. This has been going on for a long time. You know, they never used a ram's horn. We never used a ram's horn in worship before. There appeared in an American newspaper uh, a little controversy. There was an editorial against some new music that was in town in the worship service. And, and, and the editorial against it was like, well, you know, we've never had this kind of music before. And it, it, it's really too different. And, you know, I, I just don't I just don't think it's godly enough. That editorial appeared in 1723. And it was about a man named Isaac Watts. <laughs> who wrote our beloved hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. If people don't like change, and I even read that, you know, the Gregorian chants, you know, that's no nothing more ancient and moldy than that in church music, right? Well, the Gregorian chants did not used to have harmony. And when somebody decided, hey, it would, it would be great if we added harmony, that caused an uproar. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you what music is best I believe it's whatever music that lifts up and glorifies the Lord the most, right? Whatsoever is good, whatsoever is pure, and not all music is created equally. It needs to glorify God. It needs to have the right message in, in, in all of these things. But, you know, we need to be open to it. And we need to understand that uh, if we want our church to be appealing to both our existing folks who are we have our style that we are accustomed to and and to other new families we know we don't you know we don't want it to be too out of date i mean just as a happy balance is all i'm saying and there ought to be something in the music i think for everyone to worship because it is a group thing lastly it is a great thing Worship is a great thing. It's a great privilege. It is a great thing, so great things can happen. And let's see what happened. We got a scripture that's from the book of Acts next. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved from Acts 2. Verses 42 through 47. Wow, it's a great thing to, to see how alive the early church was. They had teaching and preaching in the word. They had fellowship. I noticed they talked about eating, so Baptists, we're on the right page. It was about helping others in a concrete way. And it was about growing. Interesting to say who did the growing it didn't say, well, they grew, right? It didn't say that Deacon so-and-so had a great five-point membership plan complete with brochures and advertising. No, it was God added to their number day by day. And we want God to add to us. In other words, church, if we're worshiping God in the right way, if we're putting God First, we come together as a group to worship, to lift him up, to preach the true word, to sing the songs of Zion. And the spirit of God is in our midst. Lives will be changed. And when people in Dodge County and Eastman, Georgia, see that going on, they're going to say, well, what's happening over there? I want to be a part of it. Amen. And we need to be alive. Because worship is a great thing. So let me just give you a, a, a word now on the next point. Worship is a great thing, right? So great things can happen. And if it's the great things, we need to prepare for worship. Now be honest. What mood were you in? What state of mind when you pulled in the parking lot this morning? Were all the children in harmony? <laughs> no ill words between uh, husband and wife? You had enough sleep the night before? You know, so often we come to church and it's like we've been run through the old ringer on the watch cycle. <laughs> we're tired, we're grumpy, and we sit in church. And the word is being preached. Right? One man said that he and his wife had words, but he never got a chance to use his. <laughs> I think God feels that way sometimes. You know, I ever got, you know, if you've ever been on an airplane, you had the opportunity to go flying, and the stewardess is up there saying, you know, you know, here's how you buckle your seat belts, and the oxygen comes down, you put the mask on, and they're doing all of this, right? And is anybody paying attention? Usually not, unless the Lest the person's flying for the first time. They're taking notes. Everybody else, we've heard that. I think sometimes maybe God gets the feeling that he's speaking and speaking and speaking and our attention is just everywhere. Because we come to church and we're not in the right frame of mind. We haven't prepared our heart. You know, the Bible says, if you go back and look at some of the kings of Judah and uh, who served God well, that it, it, the Bible will say they prepared their heart to seek God. 
You have to make preparations in your heart, and we can do that. And the wisest person in the Bible, Scripture says, Solomon, wisest human, has this has this recommendation for us and advice from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. What's next? Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. A lot of wisdom in those verses. Be prepared. Are we taking care? Are we, you know, watching our way when we come into the house of God? Do we have a sense that we're somewhere special, that God is here with us? Or is it just a humdrum thing we do that just an activity on Sunday and we've forgotten the significance? And maybe we need to spend more time listening to God than blabbering gossip. We need to be humble. Meeting God, worshiping God can make you humble. And sometimes worship can come to us lessons in a hard way. You remember Job? Endured much, right? Not the least of which was his comforters, but a lot of bad things happened to Job, and Job kept saying over and over, when I see God, I'm going to ask him this, and I'm going to say, Lord, explain to me that, and, and I want to, you know, I, I, got a, I got a bone to pick with God. Then God shows up in the whirlwind, and Job is like, I repent in dust and ashes. How did Isaiah react when he saw the Lord high and lifted up? You know, when we see God on his throne, we recognize that we're not so special, that we're insignificant. And Isaiah had to humble down. He said, I am from an unclean people. I have unclean lips. But you see, when we worship the Lord, he gives us the right perspective because when we see God high and lifted up on his throne, we gain a perspective of what it looks like from up there and looking down from heaven and seeing my problems. I don't think they're all that great. I don't think it's all that difficult for God to move. In any situation you have this morning, the high and mighty Lord God Almighty who sent his only begotten son to die on that cross, he's not going to hold back anything we need. So we worship him and we praise him and we thank him. And we say, Lord, prepare my heart. Put me in a place of worship. Because worship is a God thing. And worship is a group thing. And worship is a great thing. And we're all privileged to be able to do that this morning. Jesus made all that possible this morning. And by way of invitation, 
I'd ask you all to look in your heart. Can you say beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've been born again under the blood of Jesus Christ? There's no other decision you make that has nearly the significance of that. As we have our invitation, the altar is open. We worship God because he is worthy. Let's pray. Lord, Father, just thank you this morning and I pray, Lord, that you would make us understand just what an awesome privilege we have to worship you, Lord. Father, I pray you would move in this place. I pray your spirit would be supreme. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would just lift us up and bless us and magnify your holiness at this time. Speak to every concern and every heart, Lord, and we just love you and thank you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.